I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. All right, thanks for listening again to the API Intersection podcast. Got a little something different today. So we tend to talk a lot about how to stand up your API program, API design topics, stuff like that. So we have a, a different kind of guest today, and I'm pretty excited to get into it. We've got T. Antonio from Mapbox, and, and T is, is the name here. I didn't get it wrong, so don't yell at me. His name's not T. Antonio. It's T. Antonio. And uh, a little bit different co-host today with Anna Doherty coming back again. So Anna, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then T, uh, walk us through what your role at Mapbox looks like. Sure. I am the product marketing manager at Stoplight. And last time I was here, I had been at Stoplight for about a month. So it's been a while now. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear from our customers about what they're looking for in our product. Yeah, and my name's T. And uh, originally I worked in API partnerships um, in hospitality, been in APIs for eight years. I was also the first sales hire at Postman. I currently now work at an API product company called Mapbox, which uh, I guess if anyone needs maps in their app or website, <laughs> Hit me up. <laughs> cool. So I, I guess, you know, you say you've kind of been in APIs, but, you know, I, I thought it was worth noting here that you're working in kind of partnerships. And I, I think over the last 10 years, we've th seen things shift kind of out of this, you know, wide open public API world into more kind of bespoke partnerships. So what, you know, what do kind of partnerships look like and, you know, how does that work with Mapbox? Yeah, it's sort of a nebula nebulous word right now. Like it, it doesn't have like a a true definition or single definition in, in APIs. APIs, just by the nature of what they are, they're integration tech, like partnerships. It just lends itself to any type of partnership. Originally, I worked in the type of partnership that you want to have where everyone's begging to use your API. So, you know, if you have a huge, you know, funnel of people coming in and you're just qualifying which companies you want to work with and take their business, that's the best kind of partnership. And I did that for, for several years, but that's not necessarily like the real like ground truth for most companies, right? The partnerships often are just more, either more mutual or you're the one chasing other folks down. What I see mostly now is with like young API companies, they're really looking at like platform partnerships. So BI companies that have app stores, for example, they want to partner with them to become an app in their app store. So as to open up a new market essentially for their customers or to, to gain customers. Yeah, I've heard this approach referred to as like integration marketing, right? The idea that if you can be listed in kind of the different marketplaces and kind of be more connected with other platforms and the and the the shared set of customers' eyes, that that's the best way for people to find out about you because they're coming in the door connected, right? So I guess I'm curious, like, how does Mapbox distinguish partners from customers? Yeah, we're deciding how to do that right now, actually. In my own mind, I, I still kind of frame everything somewhat around sales, just because, you know, it's like kind of the bottom dollar, like I'm chasing down ARR for the company. Um, and that's regardless of what company I'm working for. And so, so I still think of it as sales, even if we're both mutually getting something super beneficial from it. I mean, that's really like, even if you're selling something, it should be that way anyway. But like the actual commercials of it are kind of confusing or can be confusing. So we're trying to figure that out right now at Mapbox. Mapbox is still a startup, so we don't have everything figured out. 
when does a company know they should start looking for partnerships? At what stage? Early. So I was working with a company recently. They are 12 employees. So very small API startup. And they are already integrated with, I believe, eight platform partners. So when it comes to like, should we or shouldn't we take this avenue to open up a market? My attitude is yes to all of them. And platform partnerships is one of them. So is like the freemium model. So is like all the marketing, building a community, having a discord if you can, um, or Reddit or whatever, wherever your people are, do all of it. Don't pick one because you don't know which one's going to pop off. What does platform partnership mean versus any other kind of partnership for you? For me, platform partnership is uh, like, again, that like app store sort of functionality where there, there's a platform that I'm building something on top of. Like Shopify store, for example, is another good place to, to think about. You know, if like you're in shipping and logistics, for example, you might want to go into all the e-commerce platforms and uh, partner with them. Versus like a direct partnership where there's maybe some sort of true like native like alignment that happens. So if we're going to use maps, for an example, I work for a mapping API company. I may have an alignment with a cellular wireless company where we share just a ton of customers. And there's just a ton of overlap that keeps coming up over and over and over. So we just decide to build something together, some sort of plan that makes sense for those mutual customers. Or it's literally just like a handshake agreement of I'll send you some of mine, you send me some of yours, and we both gain customers. Got it. Versus for Mapbox, I guess the customer would be, you know, I want to put maps into my product and I'm going to pay you on some basis to use that. Yeah, that's it. That's I mean, that's the basis of it. We have Mapbox has more than just base maps. We have geocoding, navigation, a lot of like other sort of deep rooted tech, automotive. But yes, in short, yeah, if you want to place maps, like if you're the next Strava, for example, and you've got some great outdoor app that you're building, for example, you're going to want to have maps as you know probably one of the first screens in the app. You're probably going to come across Mapbox in your research on how to do that. So you mentioned earlier that your advice is to do all of it. If you're talking to a small startup, right, who is primarily a couple of devs and maybe an application architect if they're lucky, how do they invest their time, or, or you know, how would you recommend that they approach that idea of doing it all? That's a great question. And I, I don't know that I've cracked the code on that, aside from just working a lot, maybe contracting some work out. And then it comes down to like funding and finding employees that can do it, begging for, you know, community help wherever you can. That's like the plight of like gritty founders. But I, I wouldn't just, the point of saying that isn't to say like, if every, you have to do every single thing, it's just sort of the attitude of no, no one thing is going to get you there. So you got to try every single option that you have available to you. Even if you truly believe in your product and the business value of your product, you don't know who's going to latch onto it or find it unless you really do the work. Hey, I, I've heard a rumor that if you build it, it will come. They will come, but I just haven't seen that happen <laughs> ever in my life. <laughs> like so, um, you know, I heard that that can happen, and maybe it does for some companies. You know, like Google is a good example, I guess, of that happening, and Facebook, where it's just like the NPS must have just been like outrageous, but. Um, majority of the time, I see people having to chase down their customers. You might be able to relate to that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're in a weird meta space within APIs, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I understand that. I worked at Postman, so yeah, I get it. Yeah. 
But it is true that, you know, there's a whole life cycle of tools and products that, you know, we have to think about how we connect with them, that sort of thing. Which I think goes back to something you mentioned earlier when you were going on the kind of theoretical situation of, you know, I'm a cell, uh, cell phone provider, got a lot of overlap. And it's like when you have some mutual benefit, that's the difference for me in, in when it's a partnership versus I'm just a providing you with a service you're paying me for. And that I'm not really getting, or that you're not as a customer getting some value add beyond that. Yeah, the only thing I would say, like, just to, to shift maybe a little bit of that mindset is, even though that's true, like, if I'm selling some, a product to you and you're my customer that you've bought it for me, if I have the mentality of, like, you're not just a customer, you're sort of like this partner where I'm going to do things for you that maybe don't directly contribute to me earning money, um, that, I've had a lot of success with that. So I try to like still, even though it, it is direct sales, I still try to keep that in the back of my mind, like just do the right thing, you know, just like be nice to the people you, you work with in general, if they ask you for something, like make it a priority anyway. So, you know, if you're going to email me something, I'm probably going to respond within 24 hours, regardless of whether or not it benefits me towards making my target for the quarter. Yeah. I mean, having done some of this, like partner program definition stuff before, I think the, the other piece I like to think about a lot is what's the relationship type in kind of helping segment what are your different kinds of partners? So you mentioned like you got platform partners and it sounded like you were talking about maybe kind of marketing type partnerships where it's like, hey, let's, you know, co-market some functionality that we've we've built together, um, which for me is always like a great starting point. Because to your point, a lot of times those are just on a handshake. You don't have to get the lawyers involved, right? And you can share some customer value and not necessarily have to, you know, empty the bank on one side of the equation to do it. I mean, it can go as deep as to like, like co-productizing also. So like, it depends on how tight you are and what the commercials, if there have been commercials put in place. But you know, like the ideal is to be like, you know, if, if a customer is buying another company's product, that my product also comes along with it add a value add for them. And then there's some sort of commercial exchange that happens on the back end, but that gets really complicated. Yeah, the kind of bundling type arrangements, yeah. I'd like to transition this conversation into something you mentioned briefly, which is the understanding of freemium. So I would assume that a lot of people in our audience are perhaps on the fringe end of understanding what freemium is. Can you give us a definition of that and, and how does it apply at Mapbox? So freemium generally as a model is allowing some sort of sign up and usage of your product for free for it, however you define it, some sort of free level of usage that comes with at some point, hopefully a purchase down the road, knowing that there's going to be this long, long, long tail of free users that are signing up and learning about your product and maybe getting some value from it but some sort of breakpoint where they have to either add a credit card to their account and start getting charged on a credit card or get their company involved to purchase the product for larger scale usage. So uh, all the API companies I think I've worked for, well, at least in the past, in recent years, have all had freemium models. And in my opinion, it works. I love it. I love, and from like on the sales side, I love having a super long free or a free long tail to sell into. So it's great for sales. What's great about it? <laughs> yeah, what, what's great about it? In the simplest form, just to like give you a very simple example, like aggregating all the domain signs up, signups of a company, like we'll just say like chase.com or something, 
like aggregating, okay, you've had 50 people, 50 different developers within your company sign up for a free account. Like, what's that about? You know, it opens up the door for so much conversation that I can just like drill into. And that sort of becomes the most valuable sales motion I can do. So I, I love it. That's like most of the error I've brought in has been through that sort of conversation. Is it you you aggregate those domains and then you figure out what value are you missing by all of your different people being individual users? Yes, at Postman, for sure, that was the value because Postman has a lot of collaboration functionality. It's not always that. It can be something as simple as like, hey, procurement and security team, did you know about this? You know? Sure, the risk. <laughs> right, exactly. I, I've sold in through that avenue and then they, they shake out the right people that I need to talk to. But it, it's, and then it could be something like, super well-designed, which I, I haven't seen any API companies get this right, completely right yet, but I know what's going to happen eventually is, you know, like SSO is like the start of it, uh, single sign-on, where like you can offer that product and then you've got all these free users that somehow become aware that SSO exists within your product. What, I, what I'm looking for down the road is for API companies with freemium models to really create like this, especially around domain sign, sign-ups that are, you know, targeted customers, like in the the UIs that they have for like dashboards, analytics of their of the customer's API usage, to really like build in an experience of how many other people at your company exist within this application, visually shared across everyone, and the benefits right in the application, so that someone like me, like a human, doesn't have to go and and like interfere with that experience. It's it's already known. And then when I do come in, every you know every all the twenty five or fifty people who have ever signed up for the product. They know why I'm, I'm coming and knocking on the door. There's no surprises. That's incredibly interesting. It speaks to a value prop of visibility that many people who are building their program just don't simply have. They don't have the visibility across the, the organization to see who's using it. That's an interesting idea. I, I mean, I would love to see this and I would love to go work for that company if you have that built right now and, you know, you <laughs> like, you know, call me. <laughs> no one builds it. I don't know why. I, I guess I suspect that that it's like, you know, the, the engineering department, it's not cultivated to have like sales functionality in the application from day one. So I think like, you know, by the time they start hiring folks like me who are like begging for this sort of stuff, it's kind of late. The other piece of freemium, I guess, to take it out of, you know, why is it good for, you know, running your business to, to set things up this way is also for prospective customers. You know, my tagline for this is like developers try business buys. And it's, if you don't have a way for developers to try something, then you have very little chance of convincing the, the business stakeholders who have the checkbook to actually, you know, sign it. So, I mean, do, do you look at kind of developer activity and how they're engaging in the free side? It gives you some signal that they may be ripe for conversion? Yeah, I do. So my attitude on this is like Twilio got it right like a decade ago when they were saying, you know, ask your developer that whole, you know, famous campaign at this point probably the best API marketing campaign ever. I I love selling in through developers because that's like where the rubber meets the road. Like the, they're the best champions. I don't sell top down very often through an organization. It's just like always building really cool relationships with developers, like figuring out what they care about, but especially like passionate developers who really love their product or PMs, like, you know, anyone in engineering really that are like super into what they're building. So I do look at their behavior. I'd say the, the key indicators like some to a degree, I only have like limited access to what I can see from like user behavior. That's changing. I'm actually talking to a really cool startup 
called Mosif, they're trying to change that and like really give. Just got some some funding. Yeah, they're 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 growing. They're they're awesome. They're awesome. So um, so they you know I'm looking forward to like ha- seeing them out in the wild more because for someone like me, I could get like really detailed insights as to like who's like cranking on our APIs and like really hammering them and why and then, you know ask the questions of why. But right now it's just like user signups and um, you know aggregating volumes of you know user trends, last logins to a degree consumption numbers if I have access to them, but not really like smart consumption numbers. It's just sort of like anyone who's getting near or breaking through the free tier. Sometimes it's like as simple as that. What are your recommendations for a team that's productizing their API? What should they start with in order to create a better freemium motion right out of the gate? There is no, I, I don't have a blanket statement for that. Like every API is so different. It, it, it like, it really relates to the API and the market that they're in. And then like the personas of the their customers. So like if, if I were a founder right now with a brand new API that I'm trying to bring to market, the first thing I would do is like define some industries, some solutions and some developer personas. Like who is going to actually find me? Like come and like do the Google search to, and like, what are they going to search for? And, you know, where do I need to be to be found to even have a, a new MAU? What are their problems they're trying to solve, right? And then and then what are your solutions to those problems, for sure? Yeah, and like key, key industries, you know, like what are the top three industries that I think like are going to get the most value? I do feel like I have to caveat for listeners that if you just glue an API on top of your business, monetize it on a per-call basis, you are probably doing it wrong. And the fact that we're talking to T, who's working on maps, and we're referencing things like Twilio, these are more kind of commoditizable things on volume, which I, I think is actually the exception and not like should not be the default state. And so I like the way that you talked about understand like what is the business, how does it work, who is the customer, where are they getting value? That stuff will lead you to the right way. I think in you guys' case, it seems like your whole host of product offerings are all pretty tier pricing usage based, right? Yeah, I like the I actually kind of like the model we have at Mapbox, but I will say something else if you're considering trying to price out your API right now, you may want to go with defining what the value is for per industry and get different pricing for each because you could really shoot yourself in the foot by having an industry have too low of pricing essentially like you could be deriving crazy value with like very minimal usage of your API. And like, you really don't want to get yourself in that situation. It kind of sucks to backpedal from there. What would extreme examples of that in Maps be? So, I mean, I can't share necessarily the, the details of, of Maps and Mapbox's business per se, but um, an extreme example would be uh, a company that, I guess it's, it's all, I guess it's all very specific to, to the industry and to the API itself, but I'll give you an example for like Postman. <laughs> um, so Postman has like this great like headless version of Postman and command line and customers can just like go nuts getting value off of that. And as far as I'm aware, like I don't, I don't know, it's been a few years. Maybe they've since fixed monetizing that, but that wasn't monetized at all. So I would have customers getting, you know, all sorts of value, like testing their APIs at scale, like, you know, mass testing with this head, headless version of Postman. And it's like, oh, well, you figured it out. Okay. <laughs> On to the next opportunity. I, I think from some other spaces I've been in, like you look and go like PayPal, right? You don't see PayPal charging you to call the API because going through the process, you're going to create a transaction which inherently has some, you know, 
some rev share piece of that transaction. And so the APIs are just a tool to create transactions. The transaction's the goal. Or like in Typeform, where we did forms, monetizing the API often didn't make a lot of sense because it's about getting sort of usage and retention, right? Getting folks to actually use the thing and automation just creates more usage. And that's a good thing. So directly monetizing the API, I think a lot of cases doesn't, it doesn't help what your core business model is for a lot of, uh, especially SaaS products. I'm consulting with a, a marketing API company that is creating a, essentially a gateway into micro-influencers for marketing at scale. So the idea is that you, know, you, you define what you want to market and how you want to market it online, and, and that API will then call out to systems that can actually make the purchases for micro-influencers. And a part of that, they, the way that they were originally thinking of pricing this was through the number of creators that each of their customers brings on the platform. They wanted to charge per creator. And uh, I actually kind of discouraged them from doing that because I think it's, again, it's early, you know, so it's hard to tell like what KPIs are going to matter. But I really think the number of creators on their platform is actually going to be like one of their biggest platform sell, selling KPIs. So you don't, I, I was like, you do not want to sandbag that. Like you should allow your customers to invite as many creators to the platform as possible. However, you may not want them to be able to transact beyond $10,000 a month for free or something. You know, there's, there's gotta be some other breakpoint, but in this particular platform or this particular API, I'm leaning toward, I'm currently leaning towards the actual dollar volume aggregate per month being transacted through the API as like the, the limiter for, um, for free. So as some advice you have for, for developers who are working on APIs that they're hoping to productize, is it as you're creating features, think about the different people who will be using it and think about the different outcomes that you could monetize. A lot of developers aren't really thinking in that way. Would you recommend that they start maybe thinking toward that direction of monetization of their features? I'd say think very, very carefully about it. Give up a few hours of dev time and think very critically about this. Ask a lot of questions. Ask your, if you have investors, ask your investors. If you have employees, ask your employees. Ask your customers. How do you want, literally go to your customers and be like, your potential customers, be like, how do you want to be charged for this? What do you think is a fair price? If you don't have like 10 customers yet, you should be doing that for sure. That is the only way to like get even close to the right answer. You're probably still going to get it wrong, but you may not get it as painfully wrong. <laughs> as you would if you're not asking these questions and you're, you're only going to figure it out like two, three years down the road. And then you're going to pay someone like me a ton of money to go fix that problem. Yep. Or, or hire a product marketing manager. But that, that I, I kind of recommend early in the process too, because we are thoughtful about those kind of decisions. <laughs> Another bit I uh, wanted to kind of call out here is throughout talking about this, we talked about kind of the integration marketing piece, so to speak, of, you know, listing in each other's marketplaces and that kind of thing. But I think the way you were describing some of these things is looking at your platform as a marketplace, who's producing, who's consuming. So like you were mentioning these influencers, if you think about things in, a mar in marketplace terms, you're looking for positive network effects and you can dotted line back to how are you gonna build revenue off of that? And so you were saying to incentivize those creators, those kind of high network value people to come on by not putting barriers up. I guess I'm curious your take on kind of the rise of marketplaces, so to speak, and how that, that always seems to intersect with 
the, the definition of APIs in your platform? You know, I haven't had too much experience of that happening, at least within the companies that I've worked for. I've seen it happen to other folks. You know, Shopify is probably one of the best examples of it, you know, where it's like I didn't I didn't actually quite know how important that was going to be when it first started. And now it's like a really good example of how to create an app environment. And I have some BI customers that are doing it now, too. And I think that they expect the same some level of success based on that, too. But, you know, short answer is like, I don't, I don't really know how the app marketplace works. Maybe I should learn more about that and how it interacts with APIs. How do you all think about it? I think one piece is app marketplaces for sure. I mean, that's that's obvious, right? When you glue something called connect on and start connecting with partners, everybody gets what that, what that means. But I think sometimes even when there's not sort of an app marketplace per se, if you're thinking of, there's uh, quite often when you're building platforms with APIs, there's different audiences that are interacting on that platform. And if you're thinking about who's cons- who's producing the value, who's consuming it, and what are those interactions that you can kind of monetize or incentivize? Sometimes it goes back and forth in building that network bigger, right? Come for the value, stay for the network kind of thing. So I think it's applicable in all kinds of places that don't seem obvious initially. And to some extent that that's what can drive you through which API should we do first? How should we think about monetizing that value? That kind of thing. So I don't know, I, you know, just my... Maybe I've just worked at too many places with marketplaces. <laughs> I mean, it's a curious question of like, if I'm building a new API first company, like which API do we build first? It's a it's a really good question. I've tried, you know, I've, I, I'm not ready to be a founder again. I have some history founding in the past, being a startup founder. But, um, you know, if I were going to do it again, I think generally, super, super generally, like uh, search type APIs are really useful. So being able to put out a, some sort of request for information with some parameters and getting a, you know like an, an array back of search results uh, through an API is like probably one of the easiest ways to get started in like offering value. But again, this is very situational. Yeah, well, and that's what's what's weird these days, right? Is uh, APIs are everywhere, and I think what we're what we're all thinking about is like, how does this API economy shape up? I'm curious to get your opinion. I'm very bullish on blockchain decentralized apps. And like personally, my decentralized app customers are just crushing it as we film this. Like I'm seeing astronomical numbers of usage. How do you all at Stoplight see APIs interacting with decentralized apps? And do you have customers using Stoplight to build their APIs? Decentralized companies building APIs through Stoplight. Do you have that? Do you see it? What's the story? Yeah, I don't think I can really think of any great cases for it. I think a lot of the decentralized stuff is using different protocols, you know, like your your blockchain and all that kind of stuff that are sort of a different thing. And there's sort of a little bit more standardized way to do that stuff. Yeah, I'm curious to see. So like in the next 10 years, I'm like how, speaking of like API intersect, right? Like how is blockchain and decentralized apps going to intersect with APIs? I'm really curious. So that's why I thought you, I thought maybe y'all would have the uh, the tip for me on how that's going to happen. For my money, I think both things ex- exist in parallel. So like it's fine to have that that decentralized network, whatever. But you know, at some point, you're going to have to have an app that interacts with that platform, and it probably needs to be able to call APIs if you're going to have a you know multi-channel presence with 
web and mobile and all that stuff, something's going to have to aggregate and pull together that blockchain log and turn it into something meaningful for users. So that's exactly what I mean. And like, I'll give you an example. So uh, I'm well in with a customer of mine called Helium. So, you know, look it up if you're interested in, you know, app, like decentralized apps that have cryptocurrencies that are popping off and have real world use cases. So Helium's a customer of mine. Helium has a secondary community of followers and you know, I, I include myself in that. And some of those folks are building tooling around the data in their blockchain. Okay, so like different ways to visualize the data in the blockchain or um, ways to sort of glean information about what's happening in that blockchain. And I'm like, okay, so one of these community members of developers is going to build an API for this. And I just don't know who's going to do it and when and what, what the API is going to be, but like, it's going to happen. And so, and I imagine this is going to happen many times over with all the decentralized apps that are being built right now. So we'll see, you know, like, let's look at this podcast a couple of years from now and see if I'm making any sense here or if I'm just way off base. I'm sure we're all terribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think at this point, like you, you can't build any kind of platform without having some kind of API to at least connect those multi-channel user interfaces. I think that part doesn't go away. Now, obviously, the prevalence of things like GraphQL um, making that kind of stuff easier, that certainly, you know, changes what we might imply that API means as we're you know, a lot more things tend to be like HTTP based today. But, you know, the, what we always see too is, you know, and we see this a lot with stoplight customers is like, it's, uh, you know, the metaphorical tip of the iceberg, right? The, the external, externalized APIs are usually only a tiny fraction of the total platform that's being built. In decentralized, maybe it's not quite that big of a tilt in that you may have less centralized services. But to your point, like once you have a blockchain out there, you got this activity log going on, someone's got to aggregate to bring meaning to it. That's going to be, I think, more traditional architecture bits, at least for some time. I'm curious. We'll, we'll see how, uh, how that unfolds. Yeah. All right. We went all over the place, and this was so much fun thinking about uh, API economy and the business of APIs. I guess any thoughts that help us sum this up? And uh, we always try to frame kind of our wrap up around the idea that, you know, hey, Mapbox is a successful company and you got all these products and it's big and complicated, but I'm just getting started. You know, what's important for me to consider in entering to the API economy with my customer value? Simplest form on the Mapbox side, you know, if you if you need to add maps or integrate maps into any application anywhere, you can come find me on LinkedIn. Just search T space Antonio on LinkedIn, and I'm sure you'll find me. And then, you know, also if you're an API startup and you, you need some go-to-market consulting, feel free to reach out to me there as well. And yeah, I don't know. To summarize, like this is really what I'm the way I, I see the industry is like VR is super exciting, like AI is really cool. Cryptocurrencies popping off, like everyone's sleeping on APIs. <laughs> you know, like it is really where, um, like a technology that is really happening and it is apparently the most boring thing for like news coverage ever. So <laughs> I'm happy with that. I love that it's, it's sort of a small industry that has a lot of money flowing through it. I'm really happy to be part of the industry. So, I, you know, I hope to be in it for a long time. So that's my main message. If I'm going to wrap it up, is like if this is the first time you learn about APIs, like you've been sleeping on it for a while. The party's over here. 
Yeah, I don't think everybody's sleeping on it. We're certainly not. No, no, I know, but I mean, look at look at the coverage that you, that all these other things are getting, right? And like, no one no one writes about APIs, like in, at least on a mass scale. But but I do think somewhere in there that you know there's a lot on the sort of the rise of platforms, and when you just scratch beneath the surface of that. The way you define and build platforms is by creating a consistent portfolio of APIs. So that's what we've seen in the last year or two is that I think the the world in some ways is waking up to that kind of transformative journey and starting to really take on how do we define these things consistently, build a lot of different APIs, innovate faster, but end up with something that feels like one platform, right? That developers can interact with all the different APIs and not have to like reinvent the wheel or, or relearn everything each time. So I think that is just a, a tidal wave of activity in the industry right now. Yeah. I mean, I would love to, to also learn more if you have folks that are, that have products that are, you know, already well adopted, large, larger companies that are building a, a API product for the first time. I, w- I would love to learn how, uh, how they approach it versus, you know, a startup being API first. Yeah. And I mean, in some sense, that's why we have this podcast, right, is, is to help folks understand how to get there. Because the truth is, out of the gate, people make a lot of mistakes. You already said the biggest one, right? Build it and they'll come. That's the classic one. But there's lots of other ones out there, too. And so to some extent, you know, what we try to do is is help pull together folks who've done this and had some success to help give guidance to those who are just learning and, and getting started. Because, you know, in our business, we hand them a toolbox and say, here, you can go create a consistent platform. But there's a lot of other moving parts to being successful at it. And I think there is a lot more consistency in approach than I certainly maybe thought before we started the podcast. But I think there's a lot of other pieces around the business side, around all these, you know, different kinds of marketplaces, how to monetize APIs effectively. Ideation. Yeah, I think there's so much more to go there. You know, what might be cool is to bring in one of these like API founder founder type folks and um, you know, like have a jam session on how to productize their APIs, like just do a brainstorm for an episode. That sounds fun. All right, well, listeners, if you're one of those, <laughs> hit us up. <laughs> hey, if it doesn't work out, we can always can it, but uh <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, T, I really appreciate you uh, being so open and, and kind of sharing all your thoughts here. And Anna, thanks again for co-hosting and helping kick around the business stuff here. Anytime. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, hope to come back. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.